Everybody dig out this morning? Man, it took me forever. It's just the, I'm, I have this love-hate relationship with the guy who drives that big uh, scraper thing. I see him go by, and I'm, I'm literally, this morning, I'm like, oh, man, because he just piles this giant thing in front of my uphill driveway. I have to go out there and work it forever. Hey, Brenda, good to have you back. All right. Well, we are at the end, as has been mentioned, of this marriage series we've been doing, and we're going to... Uh, going to wrap it up this morning. And then as uh, Carrie mentioned, launch into some small groups and hopefully work together. Marriage is one of those things that if you're in it, you're, it's an ongoing project. Um, many of us are trying to, like I've said, you know, I've been at it 25 years and I'm still trying to, to figure it out. I'm pretty jealous though of my friend, Mike Wright, uh, because what he did, where is she? Did she walk out of here to get coffee? Um, he gave his ring, the two th- his ring, his wife, the two things my wife has said. I would like a ring and a puppy. He gave her, Mike Wright gave his wife a ring and a puppy. <laughs> so anyway, I've got to deal with that. Um, I've got to figure out how to <laughs> work through how great a husband he must be. <laughs> so, you know, when I was laying out this series, I... You know, this is the first time I've ever talked on marriage or anything like this. And I, I didn't know how it would go. And I prayed and planned and laid it out and decided that, okay, the last one, we'll, we'll talk about the sexual relationship, which is today. And so that was, you know, I was planning it, you know, about seven or eight weeks out and then in five, fifth of the series. And so coming up to it, I, I said, hey, Claire, this is, this project uh, is taking me a lot. I'm having to study a ton. I'm going to prepare a ton and really dig in. We're going to have to do some research. I promise that's probably the most uncomfortable thing I'll say. I do want to say that the things that I'm going to talk about, by the way, Claire is in here today. This is the first one that she's actually been able to be in. So I'm just going to tell you all the stuff I know about the sexual relationship in a marriage. This is the thing. I mean, it just, I, being up here, I just feel like I'm just one of the guys and I'm trying to figure it out. Um, wow. And, and, you know, uh, I was talking to my friend Jake and he said, Scott, you know, you've been real uh, honest with us and kind of uh, down to earth. And you've tried to say that, you know, you don't have it all together. You're still like a 13 year old boy in your head and all that. He said, but be sure and tell us that there is a chance to have some success. <laughs> you know, don't, don't make it seem like it can't be done. And so uh, hopefully we'll, come through this with that in mind. Uh, the stuff that we're going to talk about, though, today, I don't know where all of you are spiritually. I think most of you in here, um, if you've come on a day like this, are probably believers. If you're not, then I want to just ask you just to, you know, hold on. Uh, this is one of those ones that messages that really speaking to believers. And so some of the things I'm going to say, even for some of us who've been believers, you're going to, this is going to be a stretch, so I just want to throw that out to you. Um, there's a, a tendency that I have to want to just, you know, make, make everything be as accessible as possible. And, and so I, I want to communicate that today. But at the same time, this is just straight up stuff for Christians. And I hope that if you're not a believer and as you're looking at this, that you will say, okay, that, that's what the Bible says. Now, is that true? Does that make sense? Work with it. 
Um, and if you are a believer and what I say really stretches your heart and your mind, well, I want to encourage you too to really dig in and say, okay, is this true? Does this really make sense? I think it will, but it's, it's, uh, I think these are the cookies on the top shelf. It's really good stuff, but you have to reach for them with me because I certainly have. So we've been looking through this whole time at this one passage of Ephesians 5, 1 through 33. So you definitely want to have, if you have a Bible or if you've, if you've got a, in, uh, some kind of device, you know, be sure and figure out a way to bookmark that and put marriage you know, in the notes so that you always head over there. Because this is just a genius passage that God gave Paul to share with us. The stuff that is in here is so powerful for instruction in marriage. And what I want to do is just uh, read you this, and uh, we're going to hit the highlights of the passage as we, of 1 through 33. I'm not going to read the whole thing. And we'll put it up here on the wall. Therefore, this is verse 1, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Let me just stop there for a second. This is the big idea of what Paul is trying to communicate. And he says all that he needs to say about marriage in this one verse, be imitators of God. And like Jesus loved the church, love one another. This is our example. And the key word there to me is is this word sacrifice. And we've talked about it, but sacrifice is is to me more than humility. Sacrifice is giving up and never expecting back. Humility is setting something aside, putting ourselves second, and that's included in sacrifice, but sacrifice is a step beyond that. And I want to encourage you, think about what sacrifice means, what it meant for Christ, and what does it mean to you and me and our marriage relationships. It's a beautiful setup for this whole passage. <clears throat> then verse 21, if you skip down there, it says, you know, therefore be imitators of God, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We submit to one another. The relationship between the church and Christ is one of submission. It's a weird thing to think that Jesus would submit to people. He would, he would submit or humble himself for our betterment. And we do the same thing. The church does the same thing for him. It's an unbelievable thing that the God of the universe would do this. And so you see it right there. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because you love Christ, believers, then we love each other in, this submitting, in, a, in a submissive way, a humble way. And then I want to put 25 ahead of uh, other verses. Let's read 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Another indication of sacrifice. He gave himself up. And then back to 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Paul puts 22 before 25, obviously, but the the order of those is not so important, except that in our cultures and over the history of the, the church, uh, the, the submit to, wives submit to your husbands have been put um, kind of ahead of other things. But as I mentioned a few weeks ago, when Paul wrote this, when he said, wives submit to your husbands, that was no special thing for them to hear. There was nothing radical about that. In the, in, by, by the way, the, the scripture is radical. Okay? The, the message of the gospel in the early church was radical. So when he says, wives submit to your husbands, they're like, okay, check. You know, no big deal. But when he said, husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church, that was crazy. That was out of the box, unbelievable, and not going to happen without something like a relationship with Jesus to fill it and fuel it. 
We have to remember that when we come to this passage, whenever we experience resistance in our hearts around it. He says, in 21, he says, submit to each other. And then, he says, wives submit. And then he says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Wow. This is, the mod- this is why it's such a, an incredible passage on marriage. Uh, in 31, and this is more or less where we'll spend our time today. Therefore, now that I've said everything that I'm going to say to you about this, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold to his wife, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now this mystery is profound, but I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Okay, let, let this sink in. This, the most obvious things about this passage. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. This is, this is marriage. And the two shall become one flesh, spiritually and physically. And this mystery, this thing that I'm talking about, this example I'm using is profound. But I'm talking about it in, in, a way, in such, such a way that it, what it does is it reflects Christ in the church. So here's the main thing that I want to say to you out of this today. Well, actually, there's four things. I don't have a main point. I'm going to break it into four. Four things. What I want to share with you is, from this passage, the reason for sex. Secondly, the sacredness of sex. Thirdly, the restoration of the sacredness of sex. And finally, the secret of sex. Okay, so that would probably sound pretty interesting <laughs> if we weren't in church. <laughs> church is kind of weird. All right. <laughs> but uh, here we are. So we're going to go with it. I'm going to keep on rolling with this, yeah. So let's talk about the reason for sex. For just a minute. I mean, there are obvious reasons for sex. They're all in the Bible. But if, if we were just to ask anyone on the street, uh, one would be fun. Okay. This is something that we enjoy. If you're like me or any of the guys in here, I mean, that's our number one, that's the number one thing we're thinking. Two, another reason that someone would say for, for the sexual relationship is to produce children. Okay, obviously, that's also in the scripture. But here's the, if, if that were the only reason for the sexual relationship, then my kids would be right. We've only, you know, for Claire and I, would be like there's three times that something happened. And that's the way they want to think about it, right? <laughs> Just thrice. A third reason is real intimacy. That there is this real, truly intimate thing that is the sexual relationship. And then the fourth really is a combination of all of those things. And they come together at different times in life and in different parts of the relationship. But, but some combination of those, those are obvious reasons, all in the scripture, for what the sexual relationship is for. And all of those are true, but none of them are the reason for the relationship. Look at the passage with me one more time. A man will leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two will become one. This mystery is profound, but I'm saying it refers or reflects Jesus and the church. So I want to just stretch you here. This is the stretchy part. The reason for the sexual relationship that is physical and spiritual is just like the reason for marriage in itself. It is to reflect the relationship of Christ with the church. Okay. I need that to, to sink in with you 
for just a second, and I, I need it to sink in with me. I mean, it's right there in black and white. The two shall become one. This is a profound mystery. And I'm saying that it reflects Christ in the church. I mean, it's right there. This reason comes before all of the others. But, but let, me, let me say this in a different way. I'm going to try to maybe prove to you what I'm saying. The physical relationship, the sexual relationship is a place where a spouse physically speaks the gospel to their partner. Okay, the sexual relationship is, a, is the place where the gospel is physically spoken to or over the other spouse. Now, how, how is that? Well, number one, we have Paul explaining to us, just kind of putting it in black and white. This is what it is. But think with me for a second. The gospel is the story of our redemption. The gospel is the story of us being made right with God through the sacrifice of Christ, right? It is, that is the story. And the details are these. And if I speak them, or we speak them in the physical relationship, what could this mean? Think about this. The gospel says you aren't perfect. The gospel says that there is someone who loves you so much that despite any imperfection, you will be sacrificed for. The gospel says that once you enter into the covenant of marriage, with a, once you enter into a covenant relationship with the one who would give everything for you, that you are utterly safe there, never to be rejected, always to be forgiven and nurtured and cherished. The gospel says that you will stray, you will disappoint, but the sacrifice of the one who loves you will always overcome. The gospel says that you will be served and cared for in, a way, in such a way that there is no other place that you can find more fulfillment. The gospel says that you will receive agape love, utterly unselfish love. Men here, imagine that if the real truth about what the sexual relationship is for is not for you to be pleased or be happy or be fulfilled, but actually to communicate those messages to the woman that you're with. Right? And women, imagine if that was communicated to you, if you knew that was the reason. And imagine, women, if you were to be communicating that truth, those truths, the gospel truths, in a human way to your spouse. How would that transform your relationship? Because here's the deal, you guys. The sexual relationship is the place where everything else becomes apparent in in the relationship. If things aren't great out here, is that me? (laughs) Hold on. Somebody needs to get me. (laughs) That's funny. Imagine couples, that this is what's being communicated. If we just wiped away all of the dirt that's piled on about what the physical relationship is, if we took away all of this, um, if in the other parts of our relationship we are communicating those things, the physical relationship will reflect that 
that, uh, that sacrifice, that kind of love. The gospel. Let me step back with me and think about in, in John 13. Jesus is in the upper room with his men. And these guys ha- are going to, um, they're having a conversation about who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They have totally missed the boat. Right? And Jesus then, in the midst of this whole thing, he gets up and he wraps himself in a towel and he takes and he, and he wets that towel and he gets down on his knees so close to their to them that he can use this towel that's around his waist and he washes their feet. He knows what they're going to do. He knows that they're not worthy. He knows that, that they love him, they want to follow him, but they are going to make mistakes. And he is going to give himself up for them. This is a picture, that's a, this is a story of the gospel being worked out. Someone sacrificing for another person. So what I want to encourage you to do is to take, this, this is the most, the one thing that I think I would say today that would stretch you the most. But I want to encourage you to think about this. From whatever, wherever you are spiritually in your life, whatever your relationship with Christ is like, think about this. Read this passage and think about it in this sense. This is the place where the gospel is spoken physically between two people. All right, let's move over to the sacredness of the sexual relationship. Sex is housed in a covenant relationship. I think we all essentially understand that. And as somebody who does weddings pretty frequently, I've always wondered, what is the moment when, some, when a couple is actually one? When do they become one flesh? You know? Well, I mean, there's, there's situations where you know, a consummation of the marriage might not happen. Are they still one flesh? You know, there is this oneness that happens at some point where this, the, it could be in the ceremony. But at some point, this relationship is made into a house that is a covenant. This is a safe place. It has walls. It is defined. It is where the couple exists. And the scripture says right here that it's between two people. Right? And it says that all the way through, from, from the get-go. And it's between two people... It's between a male and a female. This is counterculture in our society, right? And some, some would say, and most of our friends outside of this room would say, and some of us would even say, oh, you know, the Bible is kind of not with it. You know, it's, it's kind of from the old days, right? You know, back there in the Roman times. Well, okay, the, <laughs> the New Testament is mostly written in these Roman times. Go back and look at those times. Or just read a little bit of Genesis. Because it only takes one generation before it is sexually messed up. And I mean, it gets, like, the, the things that it talks about in Genesis, you do not want to type into Google. Okay? It's all right there. It is not naive. The scripture is not naive. God is not naive. It is not outdated. If, we, if somebody says that, it just shows me they haven't read it. Before you say that, before you, can, before you look at this, what, what I'm saying now, and say, oh, you know, whatever, well, be sure you just check the whole scripture out. So Paul says a man and a woman will come together. And I, I feel like I need to, to step out and just make a, a commentary socially 
uh, from about the scripture in, in our society right now, in the world society. Um, and I want to do this as gently and kindly. I just want to point to the scripture on it and have compassion on the place that our world is in. But the Bible says that marriage is between a man and a woman. So I understand that it may bring up a lot of feelings for you, and I would encourage you, you know, talk with God about it, go to the scripture about it. That doesn't mean we don't have compassion on people or love or empathy or anything like that who are fighting for rights that they want to have. But our government, or Italy's government, or your, any government in Europe or any other place, does not decide what marriage is. They make laws. The Bible is where we're going to find out what marriage means. So I just, just want to sort of set that out there. Now, that doesn't mean we can go to our friends who are struggling with that. You may have, uh, I'm sure, so many of us have people in our families and stuff like that. The Bible says, no, <laughs> You know, Jesus, did, would Jesus have done that? Is that washing somebody's feet to tell them how, how they're not biblical? No. Let's, let's serve and sacrifice and love and show them the love of Christ. So just a little aside on that. But I think it's important to bring that up in this place. Our, script, our scripture, our society, the scripture that we really live in, says multiple partners are normal. I mean, every TV show that comes on, I'm like sitting with my daughter, she's watching a show, I'm like, ah, oh, man. You know, every show is about, you know, who's having sex with who. Or the outcome of that, or the results of that. Everything in our society says it's okay. I want to just throw this out to you, and this is common sense to most of us. And I pull a lot of this, to be quite honest, from a guy named J.D. Greer, whom uh, I think has got some good teaching on this. So if, if you struggle with this, that's okay. If this resonates with you, Good. Uh, if the sexual relationship is no big deal, if it's okay to have multiple partners, then why and how is it that sexual abuse that happens young in life has such huge implications for adults? Why, why does it matter? If it really doesn't matter, why does it have such a great impact in our lives when something is... When, when it has to do with, with uh, childhood situations. If, if choosing a partner is like choosing a restaurant, which is, or, you know, where I'm going to go hang, it just, there's no, it, it really doesn't matter too much. If that's true, then why is rape so serious? I mean, it's very, very serious, but really, that doesn't, when you hold those two things up together, you, you have to struggle with it. You have to, to be honest, you have to say, why is rape so bad? but we can have sex with as many people as we want. How does that work? How do those things come together? Why is infidelity devastating if it's really not a big deal, if sex isn't a big deal? And, and here, here's the question. That is, is it really just consent that makes it okay? Is it just that? I mean, think about that for a minute with me. If sex is such a big deal... Is it just consent that makes it fine? That, that doesn't really make sense, but that's the only divider, right? A child who is being abused doesn't have a choice. And there's no consent. Rape, there's no consent. Is this the only divider is consent? There's something bigger going on. There's something bigger in this thing. In fact, um, uh, Research, secular research shows that 
multiple sexual partners reduces the ability of a person to, to be in a, a long-term monogamous sexual relationship. It's just a plain fact. I have a friend who um, shares this illustration. He says, you know, when we get married, it's like we have this house, this covenant house that we're put into and we live within, these constructs that are marriage relationship. And in that marriage relationship house is this fireplace, and it's a really awesome fireplace. And it keeps you warm, and it's a special place that you gather around, and it's just for you and your, and your spouse. And so we build a fire in the fireplace. But you guys would think I was weird if I said, hey, you know what, I'm going to go get some firewood. I'm going to go around back. I'm going to grab this firewood. I'm going to go, and I'm going to build a fire right in the middle of my living room on the couch. And then what happens? I've taken the thing that was designed for a certain place and I put it in the wrong place. And what happens is the house gets burned down. Or there's suffering because of that. And I've always appreciated that. It helps me remember. It helped me remember long ago. It's very important that I put the fire in the right place. And whether you're single or married, we have to put the fire in the right place. Guys, this has to do with what we think about, look look at. Um, who we gather around, who, who were tempted by women, I'm not exactly sure what you struggle with, but I'm just telling you, there is a fireplace, and you need to put this thing in there. <laughs> I just don't even want to think I can say something. Two, two quotes from Greer that I think are really important, so, so think about these with me. In terms of this uh, sacredness of marriage, we don't want to trust that only one person can fulfill us. We believe we are going to miss out on something. But God calls us to one person, listen to this, precisely so we do not miss out. Okay, let that soak in for a second. We think, hey, if I look at that and think about that and put this in my heart and my head, or if I'm single, if I sleep with this person or just experience this for this period of time or whatever, that's okay. Because we don't trust that God can meet our need within the marriage relationship. We think, or even just be satisfied in him. We, are, we think we're going to miss out, but God calls us to one person precisely so we don't miss out. And here's another thing. Exclusivity produces intimacy. When she is the only one Guys, the only one intimacy can follow. Women, the same way. But that's a covenant commitment that we make in our hearts to another person. Exclusivity produces intimacy. All right, so that's something about the sacredness. Now, here's the, sec- the third thing. There is a restoration of the sacredness of sex. Because the gospel story is all about reconciliation, about restoration. That's the core of the gospel, right? About making us right when things were not right. This is the, the, one of the most powerful truths that I have bumped into in, in my life as a Christian is that it is impossible to outdo the grace of God. No matter what you have done or what you will do, you cannot outdo the grace of God. Because when Christ died for you, everything about your life was to us in the future. To him, it was all in one real time a thing. God raised Jesus from the dead to prove the gospel to us. 
He can raise you and me from the dead. If we have drifted, if we have struggled, whatever has happened, that is not the point. The point is acknowledging that and realizing that the whole story of the gospel, the whole thing we're talking about speaking over another person, is that we are we are able to be brought into reconciliation. That even though you are not good enough and you have messed up, yes, and you are not going to be right, you can be made right. That's a, that is a beautiful truth. It is an unbelievable thing that we have as Christians. That's the only place that you have that. Every other religion, you're working to make yourself good enough. And have fun. Check enough boxes and see how it works. Empty yourself enough and see if that works. That is the beauty of the gospel. You cannot outdo the grace of God. Those houses that have been burned down or burned out on the inside can be restored. Now, there are still scars. We're humans. We have scars. We live in a world that is full of pain. And Claire and I have that. Those of you, every one of you who's married has that. There are scars, but there is hope. So I just want to Make sure that you hear that in this process of talking about what the sacredness of sex is and the reason for sex is. But the last thing that I want to share is is what the secret of sex is. For, uh, for one thing I, I said a few minutes ago is that the sexual relationship is kind of like that... Um, that one window in your house that's just open where it's so obvious if something is not right in the rest of your relationship, the physical relationship is going to be um, out of sorts. It's, that's just where that happens. And if you are not married, I, think, I don't know who all is in here, but um, if you're not married and, you're, and you have a real idealistic view of what the physical relationship is going to be, anyone in here who's been married for a couple months knows that it, it gets messed up really fast. And I, you know, I've asked God, I don't know how many times, why God is this such a big deal? Why does it have to be so big? I do not know, but I'm going to ask him face to face. (laughs) Why is there so much suffering because of this? Why do we have to be pumped full of it all the time on TV and everywhere we go and everything? Why is my mind desiring that thing that is not the one thing that you have created us for, if we're created for marriage? Well, here's the thing. We weren't created for marriage. We were created for a relationship with Jesus Christ. And a marriage may come with that, or it may not. And we might be in a marriage where what we really have is a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can white-knuckle and check the boxes and hold on for dear life, and you will be as lonely in all of us who have been married. I'll just talk to whoever is 50 in here. You're holding on and you know what I'm talking about. You can only do this for so long. There is only one place to find the strength to have a healthy relationship, a healthy sexual relationship, and that is Jesus. The secret is to abide in Jesus. If you're not a believer, that does not make sense to you. And you might be a guy who's like, nope, I just want my wife to perform and make me happy. I'm telling you, think about this. I have this, uh, I, I grabbed this, Claire, I didn't tell you I was going to do this, but um, <laughs> uh, this is a plant that Claire got, I think, when we moved here. And it's in our living room, and uh, 
Claire will tell you she's, she's uh, pretty good at keeping plants alive, but it's not her specialty. But this one looks pretty good, doesn't it? And so it's been two and a half years or three years that she's, is that right? Together? Okay. I'm trying to make sure I'm telling the truth. Well, if I was to just, I won't, I won't do this, but if I was just to pull this out of the pot, shake off the dirt and just lay it up here, would you guys mind if I did that? Some of you women would be like, what? Yeah. Nancy would punch me. <clears throat> Those of you who know Nancy know that she would punch me. Of course, I'm not going to do that. And the, the point is, the place that that plant is healthy is in the place that it is potted, taken care of, fertilized, watered, loved on, right? Without the dirt, without being fed, without being nurtured, what is going to happen to this plant? Could it live? Maybe. Some plants might make, you know. This plant will not make it. What I'm proposing to you is that when we are outside of abiding with Christ, we might as well be like this plant, which we would never do this to, out of the, out of the pot, dirt shaken off, drying up, and withering. It is not capable of, you know, however those plants procreate or enjoying its life or being a healthy plant. It's not possible, right? It has to be in the place that it's potted. It has to be in the soil. And that's the idea that we want to communicate about abiding in Christ. It's being planted in the soil, loved and nurtured by him, watered, fertilized, cared for. From that place, we're healthy enough to move to another place, right? To be filled up, to be healthy, If we're trying to do it a different way, trying to check the box and be as loving as possible and as sacrificial as possible, you can try all you want. And if you're old enough, you know that is not going to do it. You're going to end up lonely. We must be filled with Christ to have anything to overflow to give to somebody else. I believe that is a really hard thing for me to say. So I'm not giving you a list. I want a list, guys. We want a list. Just do these things. We'll go to this small group and we'll get a list. And I'll be like, yes, I'll be great. I'll buy a ring and a puppy and it'll all be great. <laughs> the one truth you're going to come up with at the end of these uh, studies, and the last thing I have to leave you with here, is that when we abide in Christ, we have what it takes then to then reflect the gospel onto another person, this thing that is... What this relationship of Christ with the church. So to close, I just want to say, repeat something I said earlier. But Husbands, here's a little thing for you. You are the, if you're a believer, you are the one most important communicator of the gospel to your wife. Nobody else, it's you. And wives, you are the most significant and most important communicator of the gospel to your husbands. There just isn't any other truth about it. And here is this thing that we're communicating if what I'm saying is true about the gospel, about the sexual relationship being a reflection, like Paul says, of Christ and the church. And that is the story of the gospel which says that you aren't perfect, and that's okay. The gospel says that there is someone who loves you so much that despite any imperfection in you, you will be sacrificed for The gospel says that once you enter into a covenant relationship with Jesus, who would do everything for you, you are in in this covenant relationship, you are utterly safe, just like that one, never to be rejected. The gospel says that you will be served and cared for in such a way that there is no other place that you can find more fulfillment.
That is what's communicated by the sexual relationship. That's what it's about. What I'm going to do is pray. I think we have a song. And then we're going to, we were going to do communion. I think we're going to hold on that. We'll do it next week. But why don't we close with 